Hi everyone, I'm Sinhara and welcome to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. This show is for all women who are dealing with infertility, but it's specifically dedicated to black women because we have a problem with opening up when it comes to this issue. And I don't want to leave out the men. You guys are welcome here too. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Andrea Bryman of Bryman Counseling to discuss infertility, mental health, and counseling. Connection and Compassion. Hey guys, so I'm so excited. I'm here with Andrea Bryman, um, and she's going to be talking about her amazing company, Bryman Counseling. But first, she's going to get into how she got into this work and her personal connection with infertility. So Andrea, go ahead and jump in. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So about 26 years ago is about when I wanted to start having children or maybe actually probably closer to 30. Every time I say it, I get a little bit older. Um, (laughs) How that happens. Don't we all? (laughs) My husband and I started, we, you know, we got married. We thought we would wait a couple years to have children and then. You know, we know we had known each other so many years that we just decided, you know, at six months in, we're like, you know what, let's just start. Let's try and have a baby. Mm-hmm. And I went through, I think I had four or five miscarriages at that point. Wow. And I was, you know, going through that whole emotional roller coaster of. And how were you coping with that, with the miscarriage factor? Because there are a lot of people I know who listen to the podcast who have had miscarriages oh, it's awful. and have had it's a awful. hard time coping. It's awful. It's like you, you, it became this, this, this point of, okay, let's get pregnant and let's hurry up and, and wait for it not to work. Mm-hmm. And it was like, how do I get to this point of being excited and, and relinquishing you know, that feeling of, of when can I let myself be excited? And I remember sitting in my doctor's office. I'd gone through seeing a, a whole variety of different doctors mm-hmm. trying to figure out what was going on because I could get pregnant. I just couldn't keep the pregnancies. And I was sitting in my, I was working in inpatient psych at the time mm-hmm. at an inpatient psych hospital. And mm-hmm. I was sitting in my doctor's office and I said to him, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty like emotionally stable person, but this is really like an emotional roller coaster. Like I'm all over the place. Like you really should have someone in your office to talk to people. And again, this was almost 30 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Oh, I totally agree with you. He goes, but back in that, that time he said, well, you know, we're still in like two schools of medicine right now. There's Eastern medicine, and Western medicine and yeah. mental health kind of falls under Eastern medicine. And I don't know if my mm-hmm. partners would want you know, would be open to having it. I totally believe in it, but I don't know about how my partners would feel about it. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. great. But that's, that's kind of where things started for me was sitting in my doctor's office. And he reached out to me one point and said, would you ever think about talking to some of our patients about what you've gone through and help them through this? And I was kind of like, well, I don't know. I, yeah, I would love to, you know, so that's, that's kind of how things started for me. And one day I was, I was, I was talking to a patient. I think right at that point I, I got pregnant actually. And like, like a healthy. Did pregnant. you get pregnant naturally or was it? No, I went, I went through a series of IUIs and I got pregnant okay. through IUI. Um, okay. 
with my first two children. And then okay. my third one I conceived was a bonus, I call her. She was conceived mm-hmm. actually <laughs> unexpected. <Nice. laughs> so I got pregnant and it was healthy and everything. And I said, okay, I'm ready to start talking to your patients. And he said, no, you need, you know, you can't talk to anybody while you're pregnant. Mm. And I'm like, well, why not? I can be so empathetic. I totally understand everything mm. everybody's going through. You know, remember, mm. this is still all really fresh for me at the time because I'd just been going through yeah. all of this. Mm-hmm. And he says, it doesn't matter. Someone's going to look at you and you're pregnant and they're not. And they're going to basically tell you to F off. And mm. I was like, but I, but I don't. And he's like, just go. I want you to go. Enjoy your pregnancy. Have your baby. Come back and we'll start talking to people. And that's really what happened. I, I went and I had my daughter and I was so excited about it. I was thinking about it the whole time through my pregnancy about this was the field I wanted to be into. And then I went back to my doctor, Michael Feynman is his name at Huntington Reproductive Center mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And one day he, as I started seeing clients there for him, he said, do you think you could screen an egg donor? And I guess this is kind of how things came to be. I was just finishing up my work at the hospital and I was heading up the assessment evaluation departments there intake. And I had an assessment tool I was using. He said, do you think you could screen an egg donor? And I said, well, I don't, I don't know. What, what do you need to do to screen an egg donor? Let me look into it. And at that time, there was not a lot of material out there. There was still, you know, I joined ASRM. I read every guideline possible that was out there 25, 26 years ago. I read Laura Covington's book about infertility counseling from mm. top to finish and, and, you know, from beginning to end. And that's mm-hmm. how it started. I, I took my assessment tool that I used in the hospital and then I modified it with all the information that I had educated myself and created my assessment tool. And then it went from screening an egg donor to screening a gestational carrier. And, and that's how my practice has evolved over, over the years. Coping and trying to conceive. So let's talk about, you know, just the idea of you're going through fertility treatments and, you know, sometimes it doesn't work. And then you're coping, and then you've mentioned in the previous segment that the doctor said you could not counsel anyone because you were pregnant. And when I did infertility treatments, I always felt it was kind of insensitive when people came in there with their kids, but I get it now being a parent. Childcare is kind of hard to come by, but when people were in there with their children, you know, they had, you know, say a set of twins already, but they were trying for another kid. Sometimes the kid would be at the fertility doctor with them. And I'm just like, oh, you know, that's kind of rude. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, bring a kid in here and I'm trying to conceive, you know, just talk about that process and thoughts on how people can cope when it's not really working for them. Well, I think the whole waiting room area, that's a whole, that's a whole subject. (laughs) And and there's so much sensitivity that has to go into it. But it's it's interesting that you had the insight to understand that there's other factors besides them being insensitive to bringing their children to Mm -hmm. the doctor's office. And trust me, I I was there. I've been there. I remember sitting there thinking, oh my God, that's so rude. Um, (laughs) How could they bring a child in there? But now looking back, it's exactly all the things that you were saying. Mm -hmm. When you're trying to conceive and cope, there's so many emotions that that are involved in it and I think it's really important from a mental health perspective number one to allow yourself to feel all your emotions that you 
you don't have to just feel one thing at one time. You can feel a lot of different things at the same time and that there's nothing wrong with that. I think people have a tendency to put their, like categorize their emotions and, and try and put things in a box and make sense of them. And when you can't do that, it, it becomes really overwhelming and you feel like there's something wrong with you. So mm-hmm. it's really important for me when I'm talking with, with clients is to, to give people permission to acknowledge that you can feel, be happy and sad and scared and anxious and overwhelmed and angry and elated all at the same time and that it's okay. I think it's really important to, while while you're trying to conceive, is to know your support system mm-hmm. and let them be your support system. It's one thing to say, I have a support system, but use them and let them be your support and that you mm-hmm. don't have to be in control all the time. You know, talk with your partner, talk with your family, your friends when you need to, and let them be exactly what they are, your support. But I think it's really important when we talk about setting boundaries is that... I was going to ask you about that. How do we set those boundaries? Yeah, is not to feel obligated to tell everybody every detail. I think what happens is when you're going through infertility and and you need third party assistance to conceive it becomes this medical procedure. And I think in in our society, when you go to the doctor, people feel like they need to give people updates. Oh, so what happened when you went to the doctor today? Yeah. You come home, your mom, your parents say, your you know, forget your partner, but you know, mm-hmm. your family members, your friends, oh, you went to the doctor today, what happened at the doctor? And you feel like you have to give them updates. I try and tell people is, this is this is an intimate experience about mm-hmm. building your family and you don't need, you don't, need to share all those details just because there's a doctor involved. I often tell people, if you were to conceive naturally, and I say most people because most people don't, most mm-hmm. people don't tell the world what position they were in or what room they were <laughs> when exactly. they conceive. So <laughs> I, I like to remind people because you're in the doctor's office or you're getting help from another, you know, in another way does not mean you have to share that with the yeah. world. And you have control over what you share with people and when you want to share with them. Mm-hmm. If you never want to tell someone that you were in a doctor's office to conceive, you don't have to. That's just, but if it helps you and it makes you feel supported and comfortable, share it, yeah. own it. But I want to encourage people to know that they have control over that decision about what they want to share and what they don't want to share. Egg donors, sperm donors, and carriers. And let's talk about just how the process works. So if you're an egg donor, sperm donor, carrier, how does that process work when people come to you? What does the evaluation process look like? So from a mental health perspective, so the majority of our clients come from fertility clinics, from agencies, from attorneys. So it's not usually someone that's like, it's, you know, a student that says, oh, I mm-hmm. want to be an egg donor and I get a, I yeah. get a phone call. So we, so we get a referral from an agency. And at that point we set up our, through our, plat- we have a, a proprietary platform, telehealth platform now where, where the referral comes in the, into our system and, and we reach out to them and we set up an appointment for a video conference, HIPAA compliant video 
call with one of our therapists. And <clears throat> we have, like I said, it, many years ago, I, I created my assessment tool. And that's really what we go through is a series of, of questions and discussions about, you know, what are the, what are your motivations about becoming a donor? While I know, or a donor, or a sperm donor, or a egg donor, or a, a gestational carrier, um, what what got you, what brought? We usually start with what brought you here. You know, how, why do you want to, Why do you want to do this? And then we get mm -hmm. people's family history. We get their educational history. We want to get a clear picture of who these people are and how they came to be. Do they have a support system? While they recognize that there's a financial incentive for a lot of, of a lot of people to do this. There also has mm -hmm. to be a level of altruism and we want to make sure yeah. that they're aware that they're helping. Most people want to be helping other, other people. So basically what happens mm -hmm. is you set up an appointment, you meet with a mental health therapist, you go through a series of, of questions and discussions and really just to make sure that you understand the process. We also, in addition to doing egg donors and surrogates and sperm donors, we also do consultations with um, intended parents. And mm -hmm. those aren't those aren't evaluations. Those are more psychoeducational consults where they understand just to make sure that they understand the process and give mm -hmm. them an opportunity to talk about any concerns or issues they have in establishing a relationship or not having a relationship with their donor or how to establish their relationship with their carrier. And also kind of things like we talked about earlier about how to talk to family and friends about what they're doing and how to have this conversation with their children going forward. A lot of clinics and agencies also may want their donor or surrogates to take a psychological test. We administer the personality assessment inventory. So that would be something in addition to the video conference, they would also be taking a mental health assessment that we would score in addition to that to come up with our report that we would send off after we were done. We also, through our agency, provide counseling sessions for gestational carriers, a lot of agencies have us do monthly check-ins just to give additional support to carriers through the process. And we actually also do them for intended parents. Sometimes they need additional support to get them over some hurdles. Red and green flags. What are some of the, the red flags and green flags that you encountered with individuals, with intended parents through this process that people can, you know, look out for? So, well, first and foremost, we want, we want to roll out that there's no major psychological issues that would mm -hmm. stand in their way of being their ability. Certainly with, with donors, it seems to be more of a, you know, we want to make sure that there's no genetic link to a psychological disorder that could be mm -hmm. passed on genetically. So while they may have their mental health issues in check and, and they might, there may be some family history and some, we always want to be able to point that out to a clinic or an agency or intended parents that there's this potential for a mental health disorder, but we want to make sure that it doesn't impair their ability to understand what they're doing. But first and foremost, we want to make sure that people have the ability to make an informed consent and understand exactly what they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And like I had said earlier, we also want to make sure that you know, we, we're always aware that there's this financial incentive, but we want yeah. to make sure that there's it, uh, some sort of level of altruism 
We want to make sure that they're emotionally and financially stable. We want to make sure that they have a really good support system. And I think that's, that's key to this process. So mm-hmm. they don't feel like, you know, if, if, if they have a hurdle that they have people that they can talk to and, and they yeah. have people that are supportive of what they're doing because donors and, and surrogates in my mind are the most amazing individuals in the world because absolutely they're giving of them. I mean, if I'm going to be working in the field of mental health, this is the best field to be working with because yeah. every day I'm enlightened by people really wanting to help people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. It's just to me, it's, it's all, it's just amazing about how people really are willing to give themselves just to help other people experience some of the things that they've had in their lives. So, and, and to continue on, basically, we, we also want to make sure that in addition to not having any as serious mental health issues, we want to make sure that there's no history of substance abuse or, or mm-hmm. physical or, or sexual abuse. And yeah, one of the, one of the things that I'm, I'm just taken back on. And, and I think that it's, it's a discussion that I need to have somewhere at some time and that how, how many women have a history of mm-hmm. physical and sexual abuse in their, in their past. And mm-hmm. that goes undiscussed is, is, it's unbelievable to me while I don't rule this out as, you know, someone, for me, it's important that how, to, how did you address this? Have you been able to talk to people about it? Do you have a support system? And, you know, it becomes a concern to me where there's a strong history and it's gone unaddressed. I don't want, we don't want abuse to, we don't want this process to trigger any un- unresolved issues, but I yes. also never want a woman to feel penalized by something that they had no control over. Mm-hmm. All over the world. So your company, your business, you have a team set up pretty much all over the world. So it doesn't matter if you're listening, doesn't matter where you are, your team can assist. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, and are any of your services remote? I know a lot of people, when COVID happened, they started doing their therapy remotely. How is your setup? So I love talking about this because it's new. So first of all, I want to tell you, I've been doing what I do for, like I said, over 25 years, and I've almost always done it remotely. So when things all moved to telehealth during COVID, this was nothing new for me. This was just like the world waking up and seeing what I do and and saying, oh, wow, this really works. So my whole idea behind the way I set up doing this years ago was what I found was that when people sign up to be a donor or a surrogate or go through this process, they're not signing up for mental health counseling. They're signing up to help people. So when they (laughs) hear from a clinic that, oh, you need to go have a psych eval, their anxiety Mm -hmm. level went from like zero to like (laughs) a a million instantly. And they're like, what do you mean? What are they going to ask me? What's going to happen? Like, I'm not crazy. Why do I have to do this? And I was like, okay, how am I going to calm people's fears? And what I found was if you could do this virtually, that people were much more relaxed sitting in their home environment or mm-hmm. in their own environment. If people have to make this appointment and come into your office, as they, first of all, there's there's this 
there's more of a wait period of scheduling an appointment. So there's this like, oh, okay, I can do that. They, they can only see me on Tuesday at 10 and that's like a week away. And then they have to spend that whole week wondering what's going to happen in that session. And then the <laughs> night before is like, okay, what do I wear to this? And what is, and then they don't always sleep great. And then they get up in the morning and it's like, okay, do I wear makeup? Do I not wear? Then what do I do with my children? Do I, can I bring my kids with me? And there's all these factors that go in play. And then by the time they get into your office and they're sitting in the waiting room and then they get into an office and they're sitting across from you and there's this like this level of ang- angst and, and yeah, tension. Stress. And like, <laughs> am I really going to be able to have a good conversation? And really what I wanted mm-hmm. to do is, is have a really great conversation with someone and, and really make sure that they understand what they're doing. Because I always say at the beginning of our sessions is like, the whole purpose of the session is to make sure that you're going to have a good experience doing this. And yeah. that's what I want to do. And, and if it's not going to be a good, good experience, we're going to talk about it and you're going to understand why it is. So I felt that, that the more relaxed people were, the more information I would, I would get. And like, and sometimes I'd be talking to someone and they'd be like, and I'm like, so anybody in your history have any issues with mental health issues, anybody with anxiety, (laughs) depression, bipolar? Oh, my mom's sister has bipolar disorder. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. I'm like, well, does every, you know, I'm sure you've told this agency and you know, you put this down in your information. Oh, I think I told them. I don't know if I told them that. I guarantee you they didn't tell them at that point. Yeah, how do you deal with that? Because so, you know, we did ours. It, it, it's fine, mm-hmm. but it's like that. But that's kind of, and I loved seeing people's like when I'm seeing seeing people in their home environment. I'm getting more information, but I'm also really getting to see who they are. How are they dealing with when their kids are jumping on top of them? And you know, and you know what's really interesting is so many times over the years is that a majority of people choose to do these sessions in their bedroom, sitting on their bed. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it wouldn't cross my mind to do that, but yeah. but people do. I guess that's their comfort level. So it's mm-hmm. so fun to see them with their partner, and then their kids jump in and do you know how do they keep their cool can they keep their cool if their kids are nagging do they find a time when their kids aren't there and then I get a peek kind of into their house what does their home look like so there's all kinds of you know what's their interaction with their spouse or their partner okay so let me get back to how did we come to be and all of that I just got sidetracked there sorry about that Um, (laughs) so over the years, I've always done mental health evaluations all over the world because I felt if I'm doing an evaluation, I'm just asking a series of questions and gathering data, and I'm licensed in the state of California. And as long as I was doing my work in the state of California and I wasn't providing therapy outside of the state of California, and all I was doing is gathering data by asking these questions and I could write my evaluations here, I was fine doing that. If I ever reached a point that anything turned into or someone needed answers to a counseling question, I would have to refer outside of to that state that that person was in. So over the years, it became more clear to me that some of these agencies and clinics really felt that they wanted the person who was being evaluated to have someone licensed, to be seen someone licensed in that state. So I went through a period of time where I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm going to get licensed in multiple states. And then a few years back, I hired two more therapists into my practice. And between the three of us, we thought about, okay, we'll start getting licensed in other states because then I won't have to refer out. And then when COVID started, I want to say it was about a year ago, October, 
I, I hit that kind of COVID wall where I couldn't just sit at home anymore. I had to go somewhere. And my husband and I <laughs> were like, okay, where can we go that it's safe? And, and at that point, it hadn't really hit the Midwest. We ended up in, we had been watching Yellowstone and we had never been to <laughs> Wyoming. So let's go to Jackson Hole. There's no COVID there yet. We'll find a little nice. resort. We'll go. So we, we, you know, we, we masked up and put on all our, our gear and, and, took all our safety precautions and we're sitting there and we're sitting by the fire one night and I'm doing my work from there. And I said, you know what? I have this idea. And he's like, what? I said, well, what happens if I, instead of getting licensed in all the other States, because I was so busy that I couldn't keep up. I, you know, the whole, my whole idea is that my, I never want to be the person to hold up the, someone's fertility journey. I wanted our, yeah. I always want our psych evals to be done quickly and our turnaround time to be fast. So I never wanted to be someone that took three, four weeks to get a report back to someone. I always wanted to be back in under a week. So I said, well, what happens if I, if I find therapists in every state and teach them what I've been doing and have a practice? So I have someone in every state Smart. doing what I do. I found and my husband's like, oh, I think that could be a good idea. And then I started researching. Mm-hmm. Like, There's no practices like this. And then, of course, I hired a team of attorneys and a, and so I a legal term and a, and a financial planner and, and a business manager to try and figure out how I could do this. And one of the things that I was thinking about is that whenever I would have to refer out is that agencies, I'd say, oh, well, I don't know anybody in Texas or I don't know anybody in in South Dakota or North Dakota that could do this. So what happens is agencies would just find, go online and find a therapist in that state and say, hey, do you think that you could do a psych evaluation on an egg donor? Here's a copy of so-and-so's report. If you looked at this report, do you think that you could talk to someone and get the answers to these questions? And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what was happening. And I was thinking to myself, it makes me so sad. Is this fair to an intended parent who has invested so much, both emotionally and financially into this process to work with you know, that the, the therapist that they don't even know that this is happening yeah. to be the person that's screening their donor or surrogate. And is it really fair to the surrogate and the donor that's so enthusiastic about doing this? Are they really talking to someone that can really help them figure out if this is the right thing for them to be doing? So I'm thinking, you know what, why, why don't I build this practice where I handpick the therapists in different states and I train them and teach them all the things that I've learned over the last 25 years? Tips and thoughts. What are some of the like tips and thoughts you want to leave us with or some takeaways that are people who are listening that will help them on their journey to becoming a parent or even help them on their journey with just their mental health? I want to really encourage you to not hold your emotions inside. You're not alone. You're not the only person that's going through this. Find people that you can talk to, communicate with people, whether it's even if it's an online community, find people that you can talk to, talk to your partner. Don't expect people to know how you're feeling. People are not mind readers. I think that communication is key. And I know that this process, you feel so out of control 
I don't know what it is. I just feel that the field, people that are experiencing infertility tend mm -hmm. to be high achievers. And mm -hmm. none of it makes sense because in your life, you've been able to put your mind to saying, okay, I want to set a goal. And these are the steps that I need to take. And you've been able mm -hmm. to achieve them. And now you're dealing with something that you can't do that with. You don't yeah. have control over it. And I mm. promise you that while it feels so unnerving right now, if and when you have a child, you are going to be a stronger person because the skill that you have gained through this process is learning how to relinquish control over things that you don't control. But mm. remember, there are things that you can. You can talk to people. You can find doctors. You can take steps in this process. The other thing that I think that's really important and I, that I really think would be a key point to finish on is to remember that family building is at a journey and it's not, and it's not a finish line. You're at the point where you're starting your family, you're creating your family story. Mm -hmm. But remember, it's your family story. And while it might be really painful right now, just remember this is the beginning and you're creating your story. And every family has their own story. There's not one story. There's lots, families come to be in lots of different ways. So you own your story and make this your story. Whether it's, you know, you conceive naturally or with the help of a donor or a surrogate or donated embryos, whatever it is, this is your story and own it and be proud of it. Mm -hmm. Never be ashamed of how your family came to be. So when you, when you build your family and you have your child and you start talking to them, you can tell them how you guys came to be. It's because you were able to put all these pieces together to create your family that you came to be. And it's your story. I love it. And lastly, let's just end with the importance of being proactive. Um, when we talked about this off of the call of so many people who just kind of like sit and wait and, you know, they don't go to the doctor, they don't go get therapy, they don't actually put themselves first in, in terms of becoming a parent. What would you say to those people who are just kind of sitting and waiting um, and not being proactive? I say you have to really understand why you're not doing anything. Mm. Why are you just sitting there? I want to, I want to encourage you to really go. There's so many resources available. Go to your doctor, even if it's starting with your, your primary care physician. If you don't know a fertility specialist, go to your primary care physician, go to your, go to your gynecologist. They're going to have resources for you. Go to resolve.org. It's a national organization mm -hmm. that's going to help you. There's so many online resources available to you. Talk to family members. If you can't talk to friends. And if you can't just talk to your doctor go and if you're just sitting and waiting ask yourself why am I just sitting and waiting there's things that you can be doing to help yourself if you're feeling sad talk to someone find find a mental health professional it's not I know that there's a stigma associated with with dealing with infertility or or not being able to have a baby, but I promise you there's millions of people that are feeling exactly how you are. You're not alone in this. It's not it's not it's nothing I guess I I'm trying to find the right word. I just Yeah. You're not alone. Everybody mm -hmm. there's so many people that are going through this and there's lots of people out there that want to help you. You just have to allow yourself to, to take the first step to find help.
I'm Sinhara, and thank you for listening to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. You can stay connected with this movement on my website, Facebook, and on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please join my mailing list at blackgirlsguidetofertility.com and on sinhara.eastman.com.